0: You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything. Interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. I have the one gold medal. There's no better feeling. And that's the other thing. A lot of people think that you have to have that to top off your career. Not necessarily true. Olympic speed skating
1: champion Dan Jansen. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. As the 2022 Winter Olympics get underway today in China, we're reminded that these games can produce heroes, great triumphs, but also soul-crushing defeats, which can bring out the best or the worst in every competitor. Wisconsin native Dan Jansen was one of the world's best speed skaters when he went to the Winter Olympics in 1988, his second games. He carried the expectations of millions of Americans on his shoulders. But as the games got underway... Jansen got devastating news from back home. His sister Jane was dying of leukemia. He was informed of her death just before competing in the 500-meter event, the event he was expected to win. But he fell in that race, and again in the 1,000-meter, and came home with no medals. In 1992, he again came home empty-handed. He acquired the nickname the Heartbreak Kid. But in 1994, at the Lillehammer Olympics, in his final race, the 1,000-meter, Jansen won his first and only medal, a gold. I met him just a few months later when he wrote a book called Full Circle. So here now, from 1994, Dan Jansen.
0: I wanted to uh, certainly to tell the, the story of, I guess, my side, really, of, of all the Olympic experiences, what what was really going on in my head. And I think it's it's interesting because when people watch it on television they they hear more so what the what the commentators are saying or what the press is saying and uh, i think um, although i tried to let people know how i was during this time this gives a pretty full picture and also there's uh people don't know much other than they see us every six you know every four years for 16 days and it's uh you know we do have lives in between as well
2: Maybe you should consider going on strike. That seems to get people uh, yeah. a lot of attention
0: these days. I don't but... think you'd ever see an Olympian do that. <laughs>
2: but, you know, you, you do point out early on in the book that, that, that this this reputation which you've come to hate of, of being Dan Jansen, the guy who falls in the Olympics, is because of that, that, that we don't see you every day, that we don't. We, right. we can't put that in the context of everything else that you've done that has overshadowed that.
0: Yeah, well, that's the... That's what makes it a little difficult for me is that I, uh, you know, I it's fine. I, I don't necessarily hate those labels, but they get old, the heartbreak kid or, or all of that. But um, if if they would say more about what I accomplished rather than uh, the times that I didn't accomplish, you know, that, that makes it a little easier on me, you know, because... You know, how many people knew that, you know, how many world records I set or how many world championships I won. They only knew me really as the, the guy who had trouble at the Olympics.
2: Still, there is, it seems almost unfair that you spend thousands of hours practicing and training and getting everything just right. Mm-hmm. And then the world judges you based on what happened in less than a minute.
0: Right. Well, it is a little unfair at times, but... It's also something that we're fully aware of while we're doing it, and, and you know that that's not really the reason we do it, but it can be unfair sometimes, and uh, sometimes downright cruel. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but then again, to keep things in perspective, when you say that, uh, I, I guess it was one of the, one of your early uh, contests in in Europe, and you said you really came home and you realized that you were the fourth best in the world at that point point, right.
0: and i was 18 years old this is my first olympics in sarajevo and uh just happy to be there really i didn't have any expectations i thought maybe a top 10 and that would have been fantastic and i almost won a medal i finished fourth and i was thinking this is great you know maybe they are gonna have a parade for me or something when i come home <laughs> and uh all of a sudden i get home and you know ah oh, dan that's too bad no medal and and it really is an eye-opener. You know, people that you really realize that they they don't really understand what's going on here. Not only how much work you put into it, but the scheme of things that, you know, there's more than first, second, and third out there.
2: Well, but not only that, but we've seemed gotten this idea as a society that unless you get the gold, you've lost. Right.
0: Well, exactly. And, you know, Buffalo Bills are a perfect example of that. People say that they're failures, they've gotten to the Super Bowl four years in a row. That is phenomenal. Uh, win or lose, you know, this year they're struggling to make the playoffs and you would think that, that they were worse the past four years, because they lost the Super Bowl. I mean, how can that be?
2: Boy, talk about your pressure there, too. I mean, you know, you, right. you, you had a tremendous pressure on you by the time you had gotten uh, right. to Lillehammer, but imagine the pressure that will be on the Buffalo Bills if they win, if they get exact- into the Super Bowl again.
0: Exactly, but there again, if, if people would look at it as, they're there again. That's amazing. You know, things might start to change.
2: But as you said, uh, the book is filled with a great deal of psychology, too. It's, it's how you, mm-hmm. what frame of mind you go into a contest with, right. whether it's speed skating or the Super Bowl or whatever, sure. or being in radio. The, the way you think about what you're doing affects yeah. what you do.
0: Oh, uh, Absolutely. It, the, the mind plays. Once you're at at any top level in anything, uh, it's so much psychological I mean maybe eighty percent because you know you already have the talent and that's what got you there but getting at the top and staying at the top is very difficult much more difficult than getting there I think you were
2: lucky to have a, a good uh, sports psychologist working with you mm-hmm.
0: I, I worked with uh, Dr. Jim Lair uh, first of all I have, to, I have to give a lot of credit probably more credit to my coach uh, Peter Mueller but Uh, Dr. Jim Lair and I worked, originally I went to him before the 92 games, we were, every interview I did between 88 and 92 was asking me about Jane and about falling, and and I didn't want that on my mind, and so we we went went and kind of worked through all of that and got rid of my feelings of guilt and whatever I may have had, and I was able to get rid of those, and then we worked on 1,000 meters, because that for me was a distance that I wasn't always too sure about it. The 500 was my distance, and and ironically, it came down to the thousand being my last chance, and it all paid off.
2: Well, you, one of the one of the analogies that you used, which I thought was was a really terrific analogy, was the 500 meter was was your pinstripe blue suit, yeah. the, the, the really the fine, your favorite suit, right? And the thousand was okay, but you only used it if the the other one was yeah, with the cleaners. Right.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's about that says it perfectly right there,
2: and that was uh, I think a lot of us when we stop and think about our own situation, we have in mind there's one thing that we really, really want, sure, and even in our own mind, that will overshadow if we don't get that the one thing that we really do get that yeah. is by itself a great accomplishment
0: that's right that's that's very much the case, and I thought you know I've often thought about the the way it turned out is is I'm thankful for you know every opportunity I had the wins and the losses. Um, it's still at times reflecting back is hard for me to to believe I guess that I I didn't win a medal at, in any Olympics in the 500 the race that I the, there, there was nobody better for a long time and uh, but when I put all the lessons that I learned and and listen to myself um, then I'm you know I'm not complaining I have the one gold medal there's no better feeling and uh, even if that hadn't happened, I, I would have had a wonderful career, and I don't think that's the other thing. A lot of people are, uh, think that you have to have that to to top off your career. Not necessarily true. I mean, if again going back to like a football, if Dan Marino doesn't win a Super Bowl, he's still one of the greatest quarterbacks ever.
2: Yeah, it's not like your your wall is completely empty of anything except right. the
0: gold. Right, and. <laughs> It's you know personally that you you, that's a high goal of yours until you want it, but it doesn't happen. You know, there's only a select number of people that actually do win in the. Bob Hope
2: never won an Oscar.
0: That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Who's Bob Hope?
1: (laughs) (laughs) After this short break, Dan Jansen's take on life after the Olympics.
2: Now back to my 1994 conversation with Dan Jansen. I really have to envy you. I mean, you, here you are. I mean, you you are uh, rubbing shoulders with, with celebrities, uh, you know, and and other great athletes. And and you are in their class. It's not like you're, uh, you know, visiting these people. You
0: are yeah. one of them now. That's a very strange feeling because I'm still the person that goes, wow, you know, I just met so-and-so. And, and I... Uh, I'm not real, you know, I don't, like, have to have their autograph or have a picture taken with them. But if I do, I, I still think it's kind of neat. You know, I'm I'm still, I don't necessarily consider myself that way. But then it's very surprising when some of these people will come up and ask me to take a picture with them. And, and that really freaks me out.
2: Now, what is, it, what is life like back in Wisconsin now? And are you a celebrity there or are you just Dan Jansen who grew up here and...
0: No, I would say, especially in Wisconsin, uh, that's probably the place that I'm most of all a celebrity. They, they still, because it's such a, it's the Midwest, it's great. I can, I can still go places and do what I want, but there's not really anywhere I can go around there that they don't at least know that I'm there but that's okay they're you know it's it's fun and they're good people
2: Now, are you the are you kind of like the, the skating elder statesman
0: now or are you uh, are you helping the younger kids yeah I, it's amazing how fast you go from <laughs> the up-and-coming kid to the the veteran or now retired but i do, i do when i'm home i go over to the track and i i skate with the team and i try to help out you know if i see things that they could do better I, I point those out and uh, it's fun. I have a good time doing a little bit of coaching that I am.
2: But it's not like golf where there's a senior tour, uh, right. you know, or or the bowlers, you know, where you can be 60 in your 60s and 70s yeah. and still getting, exactly. the, getting or even, a great score.
0: Even figure skating where there's a professional tour and shows that we can go into um, when we're still young enough to do so. Uh, it's that's another thing that as we're we're going through our career, we know that when our competitive career is over as, as an amateur it's pretty much done and, and you have to go on and, and find something else to do with your life other than if if you want to stay in it in coaching or in you know, in the um organization that's one thing. But otherwise you go on with other things. And for me right now it's been so busy with all the things this motivational speaking in the book and there's a movie coming out and I'm working with C B S but uh I think everything that I learned through through all of this you know that carries over into all aspects of my life
2: is it at this point in your career when you stop and look back and say well was it really wise not to go to
0: college uh well i've i it's not that i didn't go at all i, I did sneak credits in when i could so the problem with that is we have um there are no scholarships for speed skating in, in this country we have uh we're in europe for most of the winter competing and so that's one of the sacrifices we have to make or at least put it off um, so I would go to, to school take classes either in the summer or try to fit them in here or there um, I have I still have over half to go and I do plan to go back and, and finish up um, I, I have a feeling that will be maybe in a year or two when when things start to settle down for me
2: I, I, I did wonder one at one point you were describing that, that that Bonnie Blair apparently has a voice that is very recognizable and which, yeah. which carries through the, right. through the crowd. When when you're concentrating during during those few seconds that you get, and when every tenth of a second counts, does it help or hinder when you actually try to listen to a voice, even one voice in a crowd?
0: Usually, the only one that I uh, am I'm concerned about is uh, the, my coach, and is whether it's his voice or sometimes it's so loud you. You just hear the crowd, and you like at the Olympics, there's so many people screaming. Then he has a board with numbers on it for your split times, so you're just seeing it. Uh, There are times, though, I don't know why, no matter how focused you are, you do pick out certain things, and Bonnie would always be one of them. I don't know why. (laughs) Maybe it was the voice. Uh, Maybe I just came to expect to hear her after a while.
2: Yeah, but it's a good thing that at least it was a positive voice that you were hearing and not a heckler.
0: Right, that's right. (laughs)
2: I guess pe- people don't heckle at the Olympics, do they?
0: No, there's no heckling. <laughs> I, no, I've never experienced any anyways not during competition.
2: Uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing, I mean, having, having never participated in an Olympic uh, event, and, and obviously I never will, uh, <laughs> I, it, it's, I'm trying to imagine what it must be like. I mean, I, I'm guessing that even if you finish 4th or 5th or 10th or even 12th, just to be there has got to be such an experience.
0: You know, it, it really is because, and I, I I talk about it a lot, when I was, I think maybe 80% of the athletes that are there are like I was in my first one. You're so happy to be there. The, your main goal is just making the team. You're getting there. You're going to meet all these people from other countries. You're going to represent your own country. And possibly 20% have go there knowing that I have a good chance to bring home a medal, If if that many. And and so there's there's you know, sort of two different groups there. There's one that goes there with medals in mind, and the other that's just with excitement and, and sort of awe of the whole experience. And they're both they're all great. And I've been fortunate enough to experience both sides of that.
2: One one of the another one of the very poignant stories you told was about uh, the mail that you got, uh, mm-hmm. and the the, the the gentleman who'd been in the Special Olympics right. and sent you his medal
0: unbelievable after 1988 i was uh well i received thousands and thousands of letters but one was from a special olympian his name was mark arrowwood and from pennsylvania and mark he said his he knew knew what i went through because his father had passed away uh, years before uh before he was getting ready to compete in special olympics and mark went on and he won a gold medal and so he wanted me to have it so he actually mailed that to me and You know, it still gives me chills thinking about it. Unfortunately, Mark passed away a few years ago. I kept in touch with him, and, and now I still keep in touch with his mother. So a good friendship came out of that as well. Dan Jansen is
1: 56 now, and he's a commentator for NBC. And you can find easy Amazon links to Dan Jansen's book at our website, heardeverything.com, And at heardeverything.com is where you'll also find my interviews with other Olympic champions, my 1990 conversation with Carl Lewis. I was very naive. All the way, even through the 84 Olympic Games, I was very naive. And I had to learn it myself on my own with my family and friends, and I had to learn it the hard way. And my 2000 conversation with Mary Lou Retton. That smile that you see on the outside that I'm somewhat known for and famous for, comes from a place deep inside of me. And I really am fundamentally happy. And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, he's one of the greatest writers of the latter half of the 20th century. Some great mysteries, some terrific books. My 1990 interview with the great Elmore Leonard. For so many years,
0: I took in writing. I wrote anything anyone asked me to write for money. I've written everything but cocktail napkins. Now I don't have to. Now I can write whatever I want. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill
1: Thompson.